And this morning, if you want to go ahead and turn, you can turn to Philippians 1, verse 27. And we will go through verse 30. So four verses this morning. That's what we're going to teach on and, and consider together. But as uh, last week, we talked about this definition of life that Paul has. This definition of life that is Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus is my priority of priorities. It's through the perspective of Jesus that I look at everything in my life, that I see everything and that I experience everything in my life. It's about Jesus. And when our life, when we understand that and we experience our life, we're transformed. We talked about we're in this process. We're being transformed through faithful living and then through fruitful labor. As we live faithfully, as we labor fruitfully, right? We're transformed. Others are transformed. Transformation is occurring. We're walking through this salvation together. And as we do that in life, every situation, every circumstance is a part of that process. It's a part of that salvation that we're experiencing, that we're walking through. And as we do that, we talked about doing it with full courage. And we talked a lot about what does that mean to have full courage, to walk with full courage, that we would believe the Word of God, that we would trust the Word of God, and that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation, how dangerous it is, how difficult it is, how fearful it is, that we would continue with full courage, with faith, believing God, trusting God. Because Jesus is our life, we will not be ashamed. If Jesus is our life, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, we know we will not be ashamed. Because our life is Jesus Christ that will not change. He will not let us down. He is faithful. Because of what we know. Because of what we know about Jesus Christ. Because of what we know God has shown us and spoken to us. And Paul was saying because of what he knows, because of the same knowledge that he has, this experience that he has, he was going to choose to remain. Remember, he had this decision. He was hard-pressed. And he says, but I'm going to choose to remain with you. I'm going to choose to labor. I'm going to choose to love you. He says, I'm going to continue, not for me, but I'm going to continue for your faith and your joy, for their progress and the faith for those in Philippi. And he hopes to come to them. He wants to return to them. Remember, Paul's in prison. He hopes that he's going to see them again. But he doesn't know. And then he begins to say in this passage, he says, but, but whether I come, whether I don't make it, whether I make it, this is what I want for you. I've given you this definition of life, but now I want to tell you how to live that life. What's it going to be like? And he gets serious. And he gets specific. He gets directly to the point. But I don't want us to think, well, this is Paul speaking to the Philippians. I promise you this is good and this is beneficial and this applies to us. As Paul is talking to the Philippians, we can take that same word, that same information, that same truth that he's sharing and it's applicable to us. So I don't want us to dismiss and think, oh, this was for that time and those people. This is God's Word and it's everlasting. It's eternal. And it's good for us right now. 
So listen up. He starts out, he says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Only. Only. Only the gospel. Let your manner of life only be worthy of the gospel. Only do this, nothing more, nothing else, just this one thing. And as he says that, this manner of life, he's literally saying that your lives are to be lived out fully as a citizen of the gospel. That's what's behind that word. That's what it literally means. Like you're going to need to be fully a citizen of the gospel. And citizenship includes rights. It includes privileges. But it also includes duties. There's allegiance that's required. If you're a citizen, then you're loyal. You're allegiant to, to that country or that nation. In this case, this kingdom. If we're a king, if we're a part of the gospel, we are citizens of the gospel. He says, I need you to act like citizens of the kingdom. And some of us may take citizenship for granted. Some of you may not. From my perspective, I haven't thought that much about it. It comes naturally to me. I was born here. That's what happens. I never thought through it. I would go every morning in school. I'd put my hand over my heart. I'd say the Pledge of Allegiance. Never thought much about it. But I want us to consider it this morning what that means. What's it mean to be a citizen? And uh, in June, I had the privilege to go to a citizenship ceremony. New citizens. Okay? I'd never been to one before. And sitting there, I was overwhelmed. I sat in this room, we went down, the entire family, and we go... And we're in this giant room, this giant auditorium, and all of these immigrants, all of these individuals who are applying for citizenship, and they're going to become citizens. And it was for Elvis. And Elvis says, when they played God Bless America, I started crying, right? But this is us after. Yeah. But we sat there, and they had all this ceremony. Some of it was cheesy. But then they get to the oath. The oath of citizenship. I've never had to make an oath of citizenship. But I had my camera on, right? And I'm my phone, and I'm, I'm recording this. And I got these words, and, and I started to listen to it. And I'm like, whoa, that's serious. Like it's saying, I, I, I'm going to turn from my old country, turn from my old ways. Like my, my loyalty is no longer here. My loyalty is completely now in the United States of America to this government. And I pledge all of these things to be a citizen here. I'm committing myself. My complete loyalty. My complete life. I'm here. I'm a citizen. I said, Elvis, I don't know that I could have said some of those things. And he says, don't worry, I mumbled a little bit. All right, but but it's serious as you as you hear these things and, and this allegiance, this loyalty. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's all of your life. It's allegiance. 
And Paul is saying, act like a citizen of the gospel. Are you willing to give your full allegiance to the gospel? To bear true faith, bear true allegiance to the gospel. That the gospel is first. The gospel is over me. Yes, there are privileges. There are these amazing things that come with the gospel. But there's also this responsibility. The gospel also has authority in my life. And I'm responsible to it. It's not just good things, but there's difficult things. There's responsibilities too. And Paul is saying both. Act like a citizen of the gospel. Are we willing to pledge that? Are we willing to commit to that? It's not a, a pie crust promise. You guys got it? It's a reference from Mary Poppins. She says, oh, that's a pie crust promise. It's easily made. Easily broken. Okay, That's not the pledge of citizenship to the gospel to say, I am in, I am a part. That's not what this is. It's serious. It's promising that Jesus is your life and we need to count the cost. We need to consider what does that mean? Not just the privileges that come with it, but also the responsibilities. Also, as we'll talk about, the difficulties or the challenges that come and they're a part of following Christ, of being a citizen of the gospel. Because as a citizen of the gospel, full courage is required. This idea of full courage is the manner of life which is worthy of the gospel. He says to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, in line that reflects, that matches the gospel. Okay, If you're a citizen, then your life is going to look like the gospel. And I would say, as you read this, you get the sense, well, that's almost, it's a requirement. Like, that's a core characteristic, is that we would live with full courage. And as we talked about last week, that's not necessarily how people see us. That's not necessarily how we live, with full courage, believing the Word of God, trusting the Word of God, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, that by faith we would continue, by faith we'd still have joy. That's not necessarily typical of us, but yet I think it's something that's required. But I think we know so little about it because we avoid. We avoid anything that's dangerous, anything that's fearful, anything that's difficult. We've been taught. I was taught as a kid. You, you want to make your life as easy and as comfortable as possible. Right? We're trying to avoid that. I don't want to deal with that. And we've made the Christian life no different. We manage, we control things, don't give too much, give enough, try and keep this balance, try and stay in line. But it's left us weak to exercise this muscle of full courage. Oh, it's atrophied. It's wasted away. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how to do that. And yet Paul is saying, this is how I want you to live. If I come, if I don't come, I'm going to hear, he says, I'm going to hear that you are living in this way. And I want to convince you this is something for all of us. That this is a way for all of us to live with full courage. 
But I don't want you to think that it requires you to live in specific circumstances. I may be living in circumstances or situations. That doesn't mean that you have to live in my situation or my circumstances to live life with full courage. Okay? It doesn't mean the exact same circumstance for me and for you. It doesn't mean I don't have the same gifts. You don't have the same gifts. God is moving differently in our lives. It's going to look different. But yet both of us should be walking with full courage. All of us should be walking that way. Okay, that's, that's the same. We all walk with full courage. The situation, the circumstances, it's going to look different. I don't want you to think all of our lives would look exactly the same. It's not living a specific life. But we'd be living our life in a specific way. Does that make sense? All right. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, he says, verse 27, I may hear of you. Paul's going to hear from others if they're living this way of life. It's visible. It's noticeable. Okay, you can't be living this way of life with full courage and nobody notice. You can't do this all by yourself. You can't do this in isolation. It's going to be visible. There's going to be things. There's going to be results. Like, that life, that guy, his life is different. This over here, they're different. Something's going on. Something that they're doing. The way that they live, the perspective that they have, it's different. That should be said of all of us. Because our lives, if they're according to the gospel, if we're citizens of the gospel, then our lives should reflect the gospel. Our lives, what we say, what we do, it should make the gospel known. So think about us. Don't think about your life yet. Think about Livingstone's life. Think about our life together. Do we reflect the gospel? Are we making the gospel known? Are we showing this way of life? Are we showing a way of life that's full, with full courage, trusting God, with faith, depending on Him, seeing everything in this life through His perspective? Is that noticeable? Is that visible? Is that what others would say about us? Because that's what Paul focuses on in this passage. This way of life is visible, it's tangible when Jesus is your life. So let's read the passage as a whole. I'll read it first in English and then in Spanish. But we'll read it with that in mind. Think about our way of life. This way of life that should be according to the gospel. Is it visible? What does it look like? How do we do that? So chapter 1, verse 27 through 30. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Alright, so from that, the big idea 
as a loyal citizen of the gospel, our life is with each other and without fear. As a loyal citizen, if we're loyal citizens, then we're going to be with each other, that's the first thing, and we're going to be without fear. Okay, that's what we're going to walk through in this passage. Another way to say that, a life worthy of Jesus, right, that's in line with Jesus, is with each other and without fear. Alright? If we're following Jesus, if we're a citizen of His kingdom, we're going to be together, and we're going to be without fear. So first, together. Look at the very end of verse 27. It says, side by side for the faith of the gospel. Side by side. Okay? That's not theoretical. You know, we're, we're, we're together in my mind and in my heart. No, it's a side by side. We're together for the gospel. And you go, there goes Brit again. He's preaching about us being together, doing this together. Is he ever going to quit talking about this? As long as it's here, I'm going to continue to talk about it. Okay? As long as it's stated here, as long as that's what God is communicating to us, I'm going to continue. Because I can't see this any other way. He's saying together, side by side. This is what it's going to look like when you live for faith of the gospel. But think about that. Why is together a way that's worthy of the gospel? Why is it that being together would reflect the gospel? If you think about the gospel, the very heart of the gospel is reconciliation, right? We talk about that our relationship with God has been broken. And our relationship with each other has been broken. Our relationship with the creation has been broken. And at the heart of the gospel is that our relationship with God could be restored. And that our relationship with each other is being restored. And so as we reflect the gospel, as we demonstrate the gospel, right? We're going to demonstrate a restored relationship with God, but also a restored relationship with each other. And to have relationship with each other, we have to be together. It has to be a life together, side by side, or else you can't demonstrate that. You can't demonstrate the result of the gospel. Not in its fullness, not in its completeness. Together with God, together with each other, that's the result of grace. Grace is truth and love. Okay? It's not one or the other, but both. And with our lives, we proclaim truth and we demonstrate love. It's about both at the same time. That's what grace is. And then in the passage, you can see, he says, standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. I'm going to hear of you, no matter if I come or if I don't, I'm going to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. I'm like, what does that mean? That we would stand together, literally, we would, we would persevere, we would persist together, that we would remain together. And we would encourage each other, it says, in one spirit. And I would say that it's we hold together and we remain together in the spirit of truth. According to the truth, that's what holds us together. That's what we stand firm in. Remembering what we know, remembering what we believe, what we've been talking about. Like, let's encourage each other, let's remind each other of this truth. And you might say, but it's a spirit, Brit. 
Isn't that the Holy Spirit? And how are we standing and holding in the Spirit? And I would tell you that it's the Holy Spirit that guides us and brings to mind all that Jesus has taught us. Elvis shared this a couple weeks ago. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us in the truth. And in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit is actually referred to as the Spirit of Truth. It's part of the job, part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to give us an understanding of this truth, to guide us in this truth, and then that we would be together in this one Spirit, according to the truth, holding on to that, standing firm. In one Spirit. John 16, 8. Don't believe me, believe the Word of God. It says, and when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Those are jobs of the Holy Spirit. We're together, firm in this one Spirit. And I think this is something that's been difficult for me, especially starting a church. To say, well, people will bring this up. We need to be in one spirit. We'll talk about it in one mind. And somehow we interpret that, that we're all supposed to have the same opinions and feel the same way about everything. That we should decide what we're going to do and everybody be in full and complete agreement because we have one spirit. And, and we've been doing this for a little while now. And that's pretty rare. Okay? I don't know that I can think of a time where that's just been completely obvious that everybody is in full agreement with exactly what we're doing. We all feel the same way. If I were in charge, I would do that too. If, you, if I was making the decision, that's what we'd do. That's not what this means. It doesn't mean that we're all uniform. That we all look the same. That we all think the same. That we all live the same life, the same circumstances. It doesn't mean that we're, that we're robots and we fit into this exact mold. And then we all have this one spirit, right? That's not what Paul is saying. He's like, we have one truth. We all believe this one truth. We hold to this truth of the gospel. And then we live that out in our lives. But it's according to this one truth. We're in agreement. That's what holds us together. That's where we're united. We're united around this truth that the Holy Spirit makes known to us. That God has given us in His Word. It's God's Word that unites us. It's God's Word that makes us and brings us together. God's Word makes us a team. Right? You guys have all heard Larry. What, do you know which team you're on? <laughs> right? He's got teams. If you're on team three, that means you're on his church team. All right? We're on Larry's team three because we're united in the spirit of truth. Nothing else. It's not because your life looks like Larry's life or your life. He is, you feel the same or think the same. No, but you share the same truth. You're on team three. All right? That's a good team to be on. And you guys know, last week I talked about this possibility that we were considering a before and exchange student. You know, we've been thinking about it for all of three or four days. <laughs> and after Sunday, Monday we went to the school, met with the school, 
on Tuesday, that got confirmed. On Wednesday, we got sent information about a flight from Madrid to Los Angeles. On Thursday night, we Skyped with Alvaro and his family. On Friday, we picked him up at LAX. This is a picture? Oh. Well, that's, this is after he's become accustomed to the American culture. That's supposed to be second. Well, let's see the first, the other one. <laughs> is there another picture? That's it? Oh. There's another picture, and it's us standing at LAX. My family with Alvaro. We just picked him up. He's been on a flight for 12 hours and been up all day, all night. It's the middle of his night, and he's standing there, dazed and confused in LAX with us, and we're excited. The venture begins. This is yesterday. He's picking his nose. He's become, you know, accustomed to the American culture now. But my point is, is, and we haven't talked about this, but I have to imagine as Alvaro stepped into our life and as he came to 21837 Lanark Street, he had to question, like, what is going on here? We get there and, and Emmanuel and Melanie come in and they meet him. Then in walks Larry. Larry's talking to him. The next morning, Mark is over and we're having breakfast. And then Renee comes in and Finn. And there's people coming. There's people going. And you guys know that these people don't look the same. They don't act the same. Right? They're not uniform. And all these people are coming and going out of our lives. And we go to the beach and Brianna joins us. And we're just doing crazy things. And all these crazy people. And he's like, Why are all these people connected? How are they the same? What is it that they share? What is it that unites them? I hope that's a question that he asks and that he answers as he stays here. And I hope he sees clearly that it's the gospel. That it's the spirit of truth. That we're all very different and we don't look the same and we don't necessarily think the same but we're not uniform but we believe the truth of the gospel and Jesus Christ is our life. And we're trying to live that out together. I hope that there's no explanation except for Jesus Christ. So are we willing to be together only, only because of the gospel? Only let your life be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel as a citizen. That's what makes us fellow citizens. Nothing else. So side by side in this truth of the gospel, and then together we strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It says, with one mind striving. So first it was standing firm in one spirit. Now it's with one mind striving. And again, when you look at this, it's saying that we would share this one life, this one soul, in a sense. That we would have that together. It doesn't mean we have the same head, the same thoughts. It means we would share this life. We would be in this process together. We're in this process of salvation, of being transformed together. This is the life. This is the one mind we're striving with. We're continuing with. We're in this race together. We're in this process together. 
We practice together the truth of the gospel, right? Before we were proclaiming it, we're demonstrating the truth, and now we're together with this one mind striving, demonstrating, practicing the truth of the gospel. We're living it out together. And that results in love. That's what it looks like. It looks like love. If we understand the gospel, if we hold to that truth, if we believe that all of us were more sinful than we can ever imagine, we were so far, so separated from God, but yet God loves us more than we can dream. And He's made a way for us to be with Him and be together as His sons, as His daughters. If we believe that, then the result of that, then as we strive together, it's going to be love. Forgiveness instead of anger. Sacrifice instead of self-promotion. Truth instead of deceit. You before me. That's what it's going to look like. But we do it in relationships. We do it together. And I know that you guys are thinking, because I think it, it's difficult to be together. You want me to have full courage with each other together. And so I have two questions for you. We're going to answer those. The first question is, why do we not want to be in relationships with each other? Right? This is again a Monday through Saturday answer, not a Sunday answer. Why? Why don't we want to be in relationships with each other? Okay. Melanie's going to help me. You don't get your way. So, not our way. No way. No time. What else? Why don't we want to have relationships? You guys can do better than this. I'm selfish. You don't want to be accountable, right? What's that? It takes too much effort. You're going to get hurt. You get hurt, you don't trust. It's awkward. Right? You've got enough of your own. You don't need other problems. Say again. Oh, so location. And I'll just say one that will sum it all up. It's like, you just annoy me. Okay? You guys won't say it. I'll say it. Like, they just annoy me. Everybody was thinking it. I know you were. So these are all the reasons why we don't want to be in relationship with each other. And I think I did this before, kind of knowing you guys and how you'll respond. 
But I think all of that falls into two categories. Relationships make us vulnerable and relationships result in conflict. Right? You, if, if you're vulnerable and everybody can see your life, right, then you can't be selfish. You're going to be accountable. You're going to get hurt. There's conflict. It's awkward. It requires you to be vulnerable. And there's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficulty that occurs. So we avoid it. We don't want to be in relationships. But yet this says, if we're a citizen of the gospel, we're to be together. So those are all the reasons we don't want to be in relationships. But what are all the reasons that we should be in relationships? You guys can answer with Sunday morning if you want. All right, so the first, you're not alone. It helps you to be obedient. Or it is, it is obedience. Yes, sir. Fellowship. There's rest. It's easier. Ah, you have somebody to help you. More reward than risk. Less about me. All right. Relationships make us vulnerable. That's a problem. That's a challenge. But they also make us real. They they make us authentic, right? If you look at those and you can categorize those, one of the things that it does is it makes us authentic. If our lives are in the open and we're sharing our lives with each other, then we can bring the gospel to bear in our lives. Specifically. Like we can deal with specific things, specific attitudes, specific ways of thinking, specific things that we're doing. If we're involved in each other's lives, it's not let me give you a general truth about how to generally live your life. It's like, I'm walking with you. I see. You see me. I see you. Let's, let's encourage each other and, and let's speak specifically about each other's lives so we can deal with my problems, your problems. We can both be transformed. That's the reality if we're in relationships. We become real. And then they also result in, instead of conflict, they result in true love. You can't love outside of a relationship. And if we're demonstrating the results of the gospel, how are you going to demonstrate love outside of relationship, outside of your life, interacting with other people? You're not going to do it. Okay, You can't show that. You can't show love without others. 
And it's true love if we're together and we're vulnerable, right? We're transparent with one another. And I know all your stuff and you know all my stuff and I know that you have issues and you know that I have issues and it's agreed that we annoy both. Both of us annoy each other. But I'm going to choose to love you. I'm going to choose to serve you. I'm going to choose for your process, for your growth in the faith. Not mine. I'm going to choose you. Even though I know all the truth about you. Right? That's true love. To know all that. I, I, you can do acts of kindness for people you don't know, but when you know them, right? That's love. When you know them, it's love to choose to put them first. It's not ignorant. It's not uninformed. It's together. So think about that. Together. That's how we live as citizens of the gospel. If we avoid together, then we're avoiding truth. The spirit of truth, the spirit, this one spirit that we would stand firm in. And if we avoid together, then we're avoiding striving with one mind, loving each other. If we're not together, we don't proclaim truth, we don't demonstrate love. Those things require us to be together. No truth, no love, no grace. Is that a life that any of us want to have? Is that a life that any of us want to live? Does that look anything like the gospel? Because I don't want it, and I don't want it for us. And I don't think that God is, is, is impressed by some inward, on-the-surface, polite life that's not a life of transformation. Because transformation occurs as we live together. That's a life that's in line. That's a life that's worthy of the gospel. We're together. We're with each other. And then we're without fear. It says in verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. If the gospel is your life, there will be opposition. You'll have opponents. You'll have those that are against you. If you're living according to grace, you're living with love and truth, you're living with this full courage, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, there will be those that oppose you. You're like, no, I'd be the nicest person on the earth. No, you would not. You would offend people. People will see your life, they'll question your life, and, and they'll look at their life, and what does it say? It says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction and of your salvation. They're going to see you living this life. My life is Christ. This is how I think, right? We're living together, and we're, we're, we're in this one spirit of truth, and we're loving each other, and we're demonstrating the gospel. The only way they can explain that is our salvation is our relationship has been restored with Jesus Christ and our relationship is being restored with each other. If we don't have that, then we can't continue. Then we can't make our life Christ. And people will look and people will see in and it's going to convict them, it's going to convince them of their own fate. You're not going to say anything or do anything directly to them and yet they're going to oppose you. Because 
Because what they thought was impossible, they see in you. They see in us. How are they acting this way? How are they thinking this way? I need to justify this. I need to, to question them. I need to confront them. I need to poke a hole in, right? Something's got to be wrong in their lives. They can't be living like this. It's like It's got to be fake. It can't be real. And so they come against us and they come against you. And a lot is because they know in the same situation, under the same circumstances, no matter how difficult, no matter how dangerous, they know I would not have acted, reacted the same way. That's not how I would have lived my life. So what explains that? In my life, in my efforts to follow Christ, the first time we got opposed was when we left Atlanta. We left our family. We left, at times, free housing and very inexpensive housing. I had a job. We had friends. We were part of a church. My parents were around. Everything was set up perfectly. We had a brand newborn. A brand new newborn. Right? Nobody had questioned us moving to Atlanta. Everybody was behind us. Everybody was for that. That's great. That makes sense. Okay, I've, I've finished school. Nita's finished school. I've got a job. We've started our family. Our support is around us. Um, we're going to move, and I'm going to go to school again, and we're going to go to Chicago, and we know no one there. And we're going to take our one-year-old with us. What are you doing? Why would you do that? You can't do that. That's not wise. That's not smart. What are you thinking? I don't think God is leading you to this. Why would you do that? Then we're in Chicago. We're there for six years. We think we're going to be a part of this church where we're going and they're going to send us. And, and, and there was even an agreement to send us to plant a white middle class church. And I said, that is not my heart. That is not our heart. We're going to move across the country. At this point, we have four kids. One of them is six months old. Annalise is six months old. And say, so let's move across the country. We have this possibility of a relationship with this church in Simi Valley. Let's move across the country. What are you thinking? You can't do that. Why would you do that? That's not smart. That's not wise. You've got four kids. They're like oh, little kids and a six-month-old, and you're going to move across? And then we moved into Lanark Park. Have you thought about your kids? You're, do, you, do you know where you're moving into? Do you know where you're going to live? It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? You can live other places. Why would you live here? Don't do that. Living here, we said, let's plant a church here. We don't need to go somewhere else to plant a church. Let's plant a church right here. And let's have a bilingual church. Let's have a multi-ethnic church, right? Multi-class, multilingual. We're going to do everything in English and Spanish and our microphones are going to break and we're going to have to use handhelds sometimes. Don't do that. What are you thinking? That won't work. Like, why would you do that? That's not easy. It won't be simple. You think people are going to come and people are going to be a part of that community and they're going to listen on a Sunday morning when you're speaking in two languages? It's going to be confusing. It's going to be hard. Don't do it. The people that we've ministered to, there's been opposition. You're going to minister to them? To those kind of people? 
in that situation? Have you thought through that? Do you think that's wise? I don't think that you should actually show them love or you should be involved in their lives. You're going to cause problems. There's been opposition. I heard Rebecca's story this week at my kitchen table. She'll be baptized today. I've told you about this general opposition, right? She is experiencing opposition directly, personally. Her family, she came from a Mormon family, making this decision to follow Christ. There's a period and a time they are not talking to her. Because she says, I'm going to be a citizen of the gospel. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to walk with these people. I'm going to be together. I want my life to proclaim the truth and demonstrate love. And they're not talking to her. They're against her. They're in opposition. Do we believe that? Do we believe that there will be opposition if we are citizens of the gospel? Will people be offended by our lives if our life is Christ? Paul says yes. And if we don't have opposition, if we don't encounter that, I have to question, like, are we living a life worthy of the gospel? If there are not some that oppose us, and I'm not talking about the dumb things you do and the terrible words you speak and so people are against you. I'm talking about we're living by grace, we're proclaiming truth, and we're loving each other, and people will still oppose us. Okay, sometimes there's things we just need to own up. Like, that was dumb, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have behaved that way, acted that way, right? But if they're opposing us for demonstrating grace, then we're living a life worthy of the gospel. And as I finish, it says, we won't be frightened. And not frightened in anything by our opponents. We're going to experience opposition. And it says we're going to do it without fear. Oh, that sounds impossible. That's not something that I can do. That's not something that you can do. And then I kept reading. Wait, because there's more. It says, when the gospel is your life, there'll be opposition. But when the gospel is your life, there will be suffering. Look at verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. I read that. I looked it up. Okay. Suffering means suffering. That's what it says. Well, the translation's not wrong. It says that we're going to have, we have this gift to believe. We've received this privilege to believe, to understand, to know God, to understand the gospel. And it says, and we also have been granted, same thing, we've been granted to believe, but we've been granted, we've been given the opportunity, the situation to suffer. It's both and. It's not either or. It says you've been granted to believe and you've been granted to suffer. It says both. Let me read to you Romans 
6.3. We're going to read this later at the baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We share His death. We share His suffering. We share that spiritually, but we also share it physically in this life. It's not just that we're spiritually children of God and a part of His family. It's that as we live this life, Paul is talking about this life, remember? This process of salvation, we're going to experience suffering as well. And are we willing to share in that part of His life? Right? We like to share in this, what has been granted to us, believe these privileges as a citizen and all these good things that it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. But yet, what goes along with that? There's going to be a responsibility. There's going to be opposition. And in the end, there's going to be suffering. If we are citizens of the gospel, there will be suffering. Are we willing to do that? Because Jesus was our example. He lived a life of perfect love. He lived a life of perfect truth. Perfect grace. And yet he had opponents. And yet he suffered. Look at Hebrews 12. And look at the us's in verse 1. Okay? This is not let me. Not let you. It's let us. Let us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Not me. Us. Who's our example? Looking to Jesus. The founder of our faith, right? He began our salvation. And the perfecter of our faith. He's with us in this process who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He endured the cross. He suffered. Despising the shame. He was opposed. That's Jesus' life. That's His experience. And then Paul here says, I've defined my life as Christ and I am here and I am suffering and I am being opposed and I am in chains. He says, you're going to be in the same conflict that I'm in. You're sharing this with me. And I'm still in this place. I'm still in this conflict. I'm still suffering. God hasn't removed it. And as I read this and studied this, I'm like, do I expect anything different from my life? Do I have these different expectations that if my life is Christ, I'm not going to suffer like Jesus suffered. I'm not going to be opposed like Jesus was opposed. I'm not going to suffer like Paul suffered when Jesus was his life. Do we expect something less? So the question this morning is, are we willing to define our life as Christ? Are we willing with joy to stand with the one who has given us his truth and his love? With full courage, enduring opposition and suffering because that is the way that he endured and that is the way that he suffered for us. That's what Jesus did for us. That was his life. This is our life. We would do that together.